Today in the Reading Corner, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Tom Palmer. Tom has a background uh, in libraries and in bookselling, and many people will know him as a great literacy champion. Of course, he's the author of many books for children, of which a number of them obviously feature sport, uh, particularly football. But we're here today to talk about Tom's latest book, which is called After the War. It's Tom's version of the Windermere Boys or the Windermere Children. It follows the experience of three boys liberated from Auschwitz and sent to the Kalsgarth estate in Ambleside, where they can begin to heal and prepare for their new lives. Tom, it's such a pleasure really to have you in the Reading Corner today to talk about this very important book. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, I did in the introduction talk about it as your version of the Windermere children. These were 300 children who were taken uh, to Ambleside after the war ended. and must have carried with it a tremendous sense of responsibility and a, a real need to get the research right. So what was that process and who helped you uh, with this journey? I started off when I'm, when I'm writing about real people in history, many, many of whom, whom are still alive. These, these children were 15, 75 years ago, and several of them are still alive and their, their families, the second and third generation are very much around. And so I, I knew I had to get my facts right. So first of all, I went to an exhibition in the library in Windermere, and it's called the Lake District Holocaust Project. So I went to that exhibition, but they've also got a website. And on the website, there's interviews with all these 15-year-olds when they were in their 80s and 90s about what it was like to leave war-torn Europe, to leave the events of the Holocaust and come to live as refugees by Lake Windermere. Um, and I listened to all of them and, and really the whole of the story is based on that. But I still knew that I needed more help than that. And, and I know it more now than ever that, that, that Holocaust history in particular, you, you need, if you're writing about it, you need the guidance of, of someone who, who is an expert in it. And so the guy who set up the Lake District Holocaust Project, Trevor Avery, handheld me and steered me all the way um, while I was writing it. So he introduced me to some of the, the Holocaust survivors who'd, who would be the boys that I would be writing about 75 years ago. And he, he guided me into what I should do and what I shouldn't do as well. It's a very, it's a fine balance, I think. And without him, I wouldn't have been able to write it. Mm. Are you able to give us any uh, specifics on the kinds of things that he advised you not to do? Is that something that you can yeah, tell us? Absolutely. So ev every scene now in the book is based on primary source testimony of the Windermere boys. But I, I created three different scenes. I created a scene where they went to um, on a day trip to Ambleside, the three boys, and um, they saw some British soldiers and they were very nervous of them. And although that could very easily have happened, there was no source for it. And Trevor, with another couple of scenes, says you can't put that in because it wasn't true. And someone might come to you in the future and say, what, where's that from? You've made it up. It kind of proves the whole Holocaust was, was a myth. And that, that, that was one of the things I had no idea of, which is why working with Trevor really, really helped me. And it means that I've, I feel very confident that a Holocaust denier could not use my book to disprove. That is so interesting, Tom, because I'd not thought about that at all. I thought yeah. as long as you had truth in the broader sense, yeah. uh, that that was good enough. Uh, but so uh, you could use your imagination. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. 
I think the other thing that it does while we're talking about kind of veracity there are scenes in the book which as I was reading it you could just tell they were true as in they must have really happened that you you could just sense it and one of them is this incredible act of generosity from the local people bringing their tomatoes to make this tomato soup can you tell us about that it it was it's really important to as well as tell the story of the holocaust survivors who came to tell the story of the people that they came to live among they came to an estate on the banks of of Windermere and and the accommodation there was built mostly for men mostly who were working at a flying boat factory on Windermere and so the children moved into the um, accommodation that those engineers had had moved out of once the war once the war finished but also on that estate there were there were many families um, who'd been bombed out of Liverpool and and other you know local and there was there was a big community there and I was very lucky to meet um Joyce, who's one of the characters in the book, and um, her niece as well, Marion, and they helped me and they told me a lot of stories about the boys from their point of view. And I was able to put Joyce's family in. And that, that the tomato soup story was one of those stories I heard from them. And that is, that, that I think it's really important to show that when refugees come to this country, um, local communities do and can take them to, to their heart. And they gave up their tomatoes in a time that there was, there was rationing and there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of food about. But they knew these children had, had been through what they'd been through and they knew they needed feeding and they, they gave up the tomatoes that they could have given to their own children. You focus on three boys, really, Leo, Mordecai and Yossi. What made you choose those three? The experiences that happened in the story are true but the three boys are composite characters so they they didn't exist as boys and I kind of I suppose we did that because there was 300 boys all together and we felt it was important to not just pick actual ones but to tell the broad experience of all of them and and choose different experiences that we can put together into composite characters but there are there were certain types of boys if that's the right way of putting it there would be some who are quite um religious and devout and wanted to return to the religion and there was some who were confused and didn't know either way and there were some who were very like leo's just out there trying to make things better for himself in the story and so so they are composite characters I, i suppose if you took one boy's experiences and tried to put it all in a book there's some stuff in there that's just too horrible that cannot go in a children's book but because I was able to choose experiences from all 300. I was able to choose stuff which made sense in a timeline, but also didn't cover the more traumatic stuff Mm. that happened. Yeah. There was another scene that uh, really struck me, um, shocked me, and that's the football match, where the the boys are sort of segregated into nations, because actually they come from all over Europe. Yeah. And you just think that people are just going to be lovely to each other, having been through the trauma that they've experienced. And then yeah. we have this shocking scene. So there was the Polish boys and there was the Czech boys and there was the German boys as well. And there were problems with the Polish boys and, and the German boys because all the Polish boys knew of Germans with was the Nazis and what happened to them. Um, and so in the book, there's a scene where one of the Polish boys uses the language of a Nazi guard or soldier while 
attacking one of the German boys and, and that language came out and everyone was really shocked. It's like if you hear a child use the language of a parent who's sworn or said something, I don't know, racist or something like that, it's shocking, isn't it? And it's that how that, when they were in the position of being the physical oppressor of somebody else, they used the language they'd had used on them or on mm. their family. And then the whole thing breaks down because of the sort of shock because they use that language and, and that sort of begins the healing really between the two of them. And then they go onto the lake and they burn an effigy of Hitler um, as, a, as a way of bringing themselves together. And that also happened. And those things are quite difficult to do when you're writing for children. So I held back a bit of stuff from both scenes just to make it appropriate for certainly for year six. Mm-hmm. Of course, naturally, one of the things that the boys want to do is to find a permanent home or to return home. Returning home is not that easy. And that was probably for me one of the most affecting um, moments in the story where you talk about one of the boys. He does return to his home in Poland before coming to the Lake District. That was really quite shocking. Yeah, that was based on Ben Helfgott, who is still alive, is one of the boys. And um, he came to the Lake District and went on to live in London. And he ended up representing Great Britain in two Olympic Games and winning medals um, in weightlifting. He's an extraordinary man. And he speaks of a story that he did. He and a friend went back to the village that he was from. And um, two Polish policemen, I believe, I would have to double check, um, um, got hold of them and they were in a position where they thought they were going to be murdered because they'd come back and, and the people in their village didn't want the, the Jewish people to come back because of anti-Semitism and because people had appropriated their houses and possessions. I wanted to ask you uh, about the actual writing of the book because you have the story. So what was there for you to do as an author to pull all these because facts themselves don't make a story as it were so it's going to be quite different to other things that you've written you're not thinking of a plot in the same way um how did it differ well i made a plan and so i did all my research massive months of research and then i got i broke it all down into a mass of different possible scenes like 100 different possible scenes that I could use then I put I've got I've still got it um there's a photo of it on my website I've got and I made a plan so I made a plan of and a post-it note for each possible scene that there could be and then I took some out and and then put them in the right order and really I suppose really it was like putting them in the right order to try and tell the story so they it begins when they arrive in an airplane and they land in England um and they're afraid because they don't know where they're going, but they've been promised that everything's going to be okay, but then they've been promised that in the past. Um, then they go to the Lake District, and it's they kind of have an, an up because it's it's so lovely. It's a beautiful place to be, and they, they start to relax. And then, But then these, these are people who have been through the worst a human being can be through, and they're, they're extremely traumatised, um, and so they have to start to deal with that, and they have to find a way... Of dealing then they find out their families there are no families like Arek Hirsch one of them 80 members of his family were murdered by the Nazis he had no one left never met anyone and they so they they go through all that and then but they've got to find a way of hope because they know they're leaving the Kalgarth estate in November and they know they're going to be dispersed to different Jewish communities around the country Gateshead Leeds Manchester 
Glasgow and they're going to go to different places and they have to find a way of moving forward. And, and the thing they all talk about is how, although they, they'd lost all their families, 99% of them, um, they created a new family in, in each other, in the friendships with each other. And that was really important. So planning the story, I had this trajectory of coming from trauma, it gets a bit better. And then they've got to find a way within themselves of physically and mentally coping to, to move on to the next stage. And then at the end, a, a little glimpse of hope. I had to then get all the scenes and all the possible scenes I could use to tell the story that way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, as a reader, I could see the echoes in the final um, chapter, if you like, with the first chapter. They both involve planes, for instance. So I'm guessing that was an artistic choice. It was. And actually, one of the very few things that did not happen that's in the book is I have no record of a Sunderland taking off on the lake but because that's about events happening in Britain and it doesn't relate directly to the Holocaust I that is an artistic um, stretch of what really happened. Mm. I wanted to just ask you about the illustration in the uh, footer of the page yeah. has two boys on the bikes and one running after the bike which is uh, it appears on every page doesn't it, it does. how do you see that reflecting the themes of the story bicycles are really important in, especially early on in the story they when the boys get to the lake district um, they borrow some bicycles from the local people and this is a really exciting moment for them because when they were kids when they were kids they lived in villages where they had bicycles and went around just like you know many kids do now and Yossi in particular he used to go cycling with his dad and um, that was really important that this bicycle represented freedom and, and, and the future as well as airplanes do but there's quite a few references in the interviews with the boys echoes of, of bicycles and how important they are so for instance there was a point where all the Jewish people in, in one of the towns that I, I did research on had to take their bicycles and hand them over to the Nazis. So fathers and children would wheel the bicycles and give them to, to the Nazis. So that I wanted to put that in. But also, one of the, one of the boys, I, I think it's Ike Alterman, I saw him do a talk and he spoke about how he was coming to England and they didn't know what England was. They didn't know anything about England. They'd been... First of all, since they were eight, nine, ten, they'd been in concentration camps and ghettos. England to them was, you know, it could have been the moon. But they arrived in England and all he knew about England was his dad had this really fancy bike that he had to hand over to the Nazis. And he got special tyres and the best tyres you could get were from England. And he got these special tyres and on moulded into the, into the rubber of the tyre. Um, it said made in England and then he gets to England and he gets the opportunity to ride a bicycle it's it's that's why you don't you you really don't have to make stuff up when you're writing about this as long as you've done enough research it's mm. there the stories are there it's just putting them in the right order mm. now you've written for Barrington Stoke before obviously three books that are connected in some way with war and other books as well what's it like writing a book for Barrington Stoke because there are special um, things that you have to bear in mind aren't there? there there are yeah I mean there's certain sort of rules or 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 certain forms that they prefer for dyslexic children and children with visual stress etc but I think because of the way I write anyway I don't really do that I don't have long clauses and I don't have sentences which go to and fro in time um, and I don't do a lot of those things so I think in that way I'm quite a natural fit for writing for Barrington Stoke 
But one of the things that I worried about with After the War was some of the readers that Barrington Stoke are publishing books for struggle with keeping different sort of flashbacks and, and different times going to and fro with it, which you can get within fiction. And so in the writing of the book, my editor made, there were things that happened in the past and things that happened in the future. And I'd got them in the wrong order. And she said, right, we'll go with flashbacks, which is a, a challenge to, to our readers. But if you put the flashbacks in the right order, it tells the story of what happened in the past. And it, it made the book better. It made the book make so much more sense to everybody. So they, they're the sort of main sorts of things. But And I think because I've written about 12, 15 books for them were in the same place. Mm, interesting. They are wonderful. And the layout of the books, the colour of the paper, and all the things that they do to, and the font, all the things they do to make the books more accessible. And I went into a, a school in Wales once, and I told this teacher who didn't know that Barrington Stoke books do all this um, for, for children. And she got this, this lad came over and she said, she said have a look at this. Can you, what, you know, what do you think of this? Because it was yellow. It was yellow paper, it was the font, it was not right, justified, etc. And he, he looked up and he sort of gasped and he said, Miss, I can read this. And I'll never forget that because here was a boy who hated books, despised books. And the look on his face, I can read this. And, and that's what Barrington Stoke do. They, they reach readers that do, do have barriers in between them and reading some of the other books. They do that, but they in no way dumbed down the content this uh, is a book for anybody to read isn't it so and especially like the the historical ones i've been doing d-day dog um after the war armistice runner and over the line they're really tough subjects and it's not dumbed down in any way at all is it absolutely um now i can just tell by talking to you how much you absorbed yourself in the stories of these children in order to write the book i'm just wondering whether you found it um, difficult to put behind you as you move on to new projects? <laughs> yes, that's a good question. Um, when I'd finished writing it, I was going to have a break because I found myself, like there was one point when I was writing it and I went downstairs to have dinner with my wife and my daughter and I just burst into tears at the table. And, you know, it's the weight of describing these terrible things that have happened to these children. It, it, does, it does get you after a while. And I was pretty burnt out by it and I thought, right, I'm because I do a lot of school events as well. I'm just going to do school events from March for a few months um, and then not do any writing. But then COVID happened and so I had to go back to writing. So are you able to tell us what, what you spent that time writing? <laughs> yes. Um, well, I wrote the next Roy of the Rovers book, but it's Roy of the Rovers is a, a male footballer. He's got a sister and she takes over the next book. So it's about her as a young footballer, and that's out in October. Um, and then I've been writing a book for Barrington Stoke called At Sea, and um, it's probably going to be called that. And it's about the Arctic convoys, about the British and Americans delivering warplanes and, and fuel and tanks to the Russians so the Russians could defeat the Nazis on the eastern front. Um, and it's about, basically, it's about three 18, well, two really, 18-year-old boys who are young sailors who, who go in, on the Arctic convoys in the sea, on including on the HMS Belfast, um, and they have torpedoes fired at them from submarines. They're dive bombed by German airplanes, and but the worst thing is the weather and the storms. And but I wanted to write a book about the navy because I've done army books and the Royal Air Force, and I wanted to do 
the book about the Navy. And I'm really lucky the um, Imperial War Museum's helping me because it's based on HMS Belfast there. They're going to give me a, a tour of the ship so I can get it all right. And they've put me in touch with men who are involved with the Arctic Convoy. So I'm going down the same line of, of making sure I get my facts right and basing things that are right on, on true events. It's good that you're having this opportunity to talk to witnesses who were there because soon we won't be able to do that with their stories that's right in fact we did um on the 75th anniversary of the boys landing we did um an event from carlisle airport which was a an airfield at the time and just as we were finishing doing that we got a text to say that one of the boys had had passed away and then that was a really poignant moment that yes they won't be around much longer and that's why i know a lot of holocaust charities like um, are doing a lot of work to record the memories of the survivors so that they can be told to us in the future um, as, as authentic primary source um, testimony. It's our responsibility to take those stories forward and make sure they're not forgotten. Tom, can I just thank you so much for coming into the reading corner today and telling us the story behind uh, After the War. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to In the Reading Corner with Just Imagine. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more on the podcast section of our website, justimagine.co.uk, plus via iTunes or SoundCloud or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues.